Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. It is the NIL Hour. Taryn is here. I'm here, Dan Lust, and Zach Bryson. Boys are back, and we're here to talk some sports law. Gentlemen, Taryn, Zach, how's it going? It's going great. I have a big week. Uh, it's It's been a while since I've been able to record, missing my, uh, my two co-hosts, uh, Holly and Mike, this week. But the show rolls, rolls on, Dan. How's it going, Zach? Going well. Always good to be a, a guest host here on the NIL Hour. Always a, always a blast. So on this lovely Wednesday night, you're going to hear some cameos in the background. It's been a rolling theme. We're recording pretty late at night, past Dylan's bedtime, my oldest, but she does not want to go to bed. And we have a running joke in my house. Uh, my wife doesn't actually think I talk about her on the podcast. I'm like, if you want to listen to the podcast, you realize I do talk about you a lot. So I'm just waiting for her to listen, yell at me for one of these things, these admissions I make on the podcast. But if you make an admission on the podcast about your wife and she doesn't listen to the podcast, it's almost like you didn't make an admission. So that's where we're at. So Dylan is awake. Rachel, I'm sorry. She's up very late. Okay. We are rolling into this week's episode. We got two big stories, Taryn. I'm listening. Tell the truth here. I had a eight-hour deposition today, and I have an eight-hour deposition tomorrow. So this is a long day. But Taryn, as you mentioned, the show must go on. I think you said the show must roll on. Was that like a was that like a roll tide reference that you snuck in there? Uh, I'm not sure why, unless we were referencing the Citrus Bowl. Tom Brady led that comeback in the Citrus Bowl. We are going to be talking some Michigan football. We are talking Michigan football. Zach, I see you've got your wake shirt on. Taryn, is that a USC shirt? What is that? No, this is the Giants. That's the Giants. I saw the S. I saw that. I thought that was the the USC style S. You've got the um, interlocking SF. Giants have a new manager. We're excited about that, aren't we? I have I have plenty of uh, hats you can't see, but I have some Giants paraphernalia in my office, and certainly I have it where I'm recording in my closet because uh, it's got great acoustics. So, yes, sitting on the floor in my closet, you can see the uh, dry cleaning stuff over here. Fun fact, do you guys take the dry cleaning stuff out of the plastic before you use it? I'll leave it in there. I feel like it's an extra level of protection until I need it. Yeah, why would I take it out? I need to do some dry cleaning, speaking of. It's so this level of this... accessibility that that makes us so endearing to our audience, isn't it, Dan? It does. Listen, sometimes we just like to mess around a little bit. If you looked at my wife's, if you looked at my wife's stuff on her side, there was no plastic. And if you're wondering what that noise is, I just got a version of a wet willy from my four-year-old. So it's great. We're dealing with all sorts of forces and uh, the show. Taryn, as you said, it must roll on. Two topics on the docket today, and then we'll get to some what to watch for. And we will do some picks sponsored by Better Edge. Before we do that, a reminder, our podcast sponsored by Conduct. That's rental. No, I'm just kidding. Our <laughs> podcast sponsored by over at Themis Bar Review. Congrats to all of our New York test takers. I know uh, a lot of people passed. Listen, if you didn't pass and you weren't happy with the bar prep you used, Themis is the way to go. Use our promo code. Taryn, what's our promo code? Or should we just tell people to contact us? I feel like you know the promo code. I think it's Conduct Fall 23, right? Conduct Fall 23. And what I've been telling people, they just text me and I'm like, listen, text me, email me. If you ask me about Themis, I will give you the promo code. You'll make us look good. The best way to support the show. Okay. Two topics. If I didn't mention them already, we were talking about Michigan football and we were talking about last week's federal NIL hearing. I'm very focused on the second one. I put out a statement in support of Michigan over the weekend, I'm feeling less confident about that pro-Michigan statement, which for the reasons that we will get into. Taryn, uh, I have held the baton for long enough. This is a co-show. We're doing a little bit of normal conduct, a little bit of NIL hour, but really NIL hour. So Taryn, let me give it to you. Give us your your 10,000 foot level, whatever you want to do in Michigan. They, they explain it to our listeners like they're five. What has been going on? What's the latest today? I feel like a lot has come out in the last 24 hours. Yeah, I'm going to explain it like I'm explaining it to Dylan. Yeah, we've got probably, I think, one of the biggest college football stories in recent memory at our hands. And and one that's really kind of emblematic of the times and, and may not even be a, a problem this time next year based on the uh, the bowl decision to um, to allow the headphones to be in helmets, which is allowed at the NFL, obviously. Linebackers and quarterbacks have that little green dot on their helmet. They have a microphone in there. They can hear from the coaches directly. College football is not like that. Uh, college football requires a uh, complicated system of uh, hand signals from the sideline, just like uh, baseball might. 
uh, to signal what the play is. And oftentimes they'll have three different people out there making these signals. And part of the reason for that is to combat exactly what we're going to talk about, which is sign stealing. Now, sign stealing has been very hot in the streets, right? We talked about the Houston Astros using the trash can and the TV to uh, bang on the trash can and uh, and steal uh, when a, a fastball or off-speed pitch was coming. And uh, and so we have something similar here. Can we while, while we're on the similar part, this is a point that came up in my class on Monday night. This part we should talk about. People hear sign stealing and they assume this is the Astros. This is contemporaneous signaling to someone while they're at the bat as to what's happening. So, Taryn, you perfectly illustrated it. It's not that. It's very different than that. You know what else it's different than? It's very different than the Patriots sign stealing when the Patriots I don't even think we need to say allegedly they were caught filming private jets practices where there was an expectation of privacy, a closed practice to the media. Why on earth would you have to be worrying about your signals? Patriots allegedly, I guess this part will say allegedly started filming the closed practices and that's how they knew their signals. So this is a different level of sign stealing. This is again, we're going to talk about what's illegal under the NCA rules, what's not, but just in terms of the actual offense, it is very different than the common nature of sign stealing, different than the Patriots, different than the Astros. This is going to a public venue, another game that like thousands of people are at, and then kind of training your vision on the sidelines. I think the actual act itself doesn't really sound that bad, but Taryn, as we're going to get into, the NCAA rules are not, uh, you know, not so uh, not so kind in these particular situations. Um, Taryn, before yeah. you you jump into it, yeah, I think, well, Zach, let me, let me have you weigh in here. I know you've been following this pretty closely. With respect to the like, I want to I want to separating this for a reason because it came up in my class. If that's all I told you, they did a, a Michigan staffer went to a game, got a high powered camera and was shooting it at the sidelines while the game was going on and watching people's mouths and trying to decode signals. Do you think that there's anything wrong with that? Like thinking about expectation of privacy, like what expectation of privacy do coaches have at games like I don't know, zero? Yeah, the expectation of privacy point that you bring up is a, is a really good one, I think. I mean, you are doing it in front of hundreds of thousands of other people that are physically there, as well as all the people watching on TV. So I don't think you have a great expectation of privacy there. And it is different in that respect. If you just told me, again, if you just told me that they were going and watching a game and, and looking at the sideline and seeing those, seeing those signs. But, you know, as you kind of alluded to, there are a couple different Things that kind of make it look a little bit worse for Michigan. So that's that's going to be really interesting to get to get into as we look at the NCAA rules here in a minute. And I mean, Taryn, Taryn mentioned it a second ago also, but, uh, you know, biggest, biggest controversy in science healing college sports in a, in a while. But another one that's not talked about, I think, enough, uh, seeing as I've got my Wake Forest shirt on is the, the Wake Forest one from 2016. It was Wake Forest never... stole signs in 2016. No, no, no. Wake Forest had signs stolen, Dan. By Louisville, all people. I hope. Yeah, it was the it was a coach who was leaking it to to Louisville and other ACC opponents, and it was I did know this never done before. So it was it was really it was Wake Forest's own coach. Yes. Yeah, Wake. Yeah, I Wake's do remember. Own this. assistant yeah. coach, and uh, I believe he was also a radio radio announcer for the team at the time, and an alumnus. So really interesting. That's why it they was... suck. That's why they've been so bad, right? No, they've been good no. under Dave Clawson. No, Wake is they... a solid program. They've been decent. Look, look, we I, I have to push back on what you said though, Dan. This is not it's not Houston exactly, it's not New England exactly, but it's almost like a hybrid of the two. They were using information that they were developing ahead of time that was then used in a contemporaneous fashion. And so one of the first things to come out when we heard this news was video of the individual who was responsible for this entire operation right next to the offensive coordinator when Michigan had the ball and right next to the defensive coordinator when Michigan was on defense. And these were in marquee games, big games against Ohio State. And and so to me, if you're on the first drive of the game, this guy's not only got a laminated play sheet, but he's also speaking directly to the uh, the offensive and defensive coordinator. To me, that defeats the argument that, one, this is a low-level staffer, 
and two, that he was decoding this during the games. Because if you have that on the first drive, there's just no way that you didn't do your homework ahead of time. And so we should talk about this individual in question. Connor Stallions is the name of the this guy. And it's an incredible name, one that you couldn't make up. It's up there with Ron Mexico, like just a fantastic name that will live in sports lore forever with Harvey Updike and the and other associated types. What are you saying, Dan? Ron Mexico's Ron Mexico's a good name. I, that's the Michael Vick name, right? Isn't yes. that Ron Mexico? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a great name. Ron Mexico, John great Dowd, name. Harvey Updike. Connor Stallions is a Michigan super fan. 28 years old, uh, two alumni parents. He grew up in the state of Michigan, graduated from Annapolis in 2017. So clearly like a smart, driven young person, uh, spent five years in the Marine Corps. And while he was at the Naval Academy, he worked as an assistant for Navy's football program. And he also was working for the University of Michigan as an unpaid intern financing his own flights back and forth to be able to go and work for the University of Michigan football team. This is somebody that cares deeply about Michigan, so much so that they developed a five to 600 page manifesto called the Michigan Manifesto that he said would help chart the course of Michigan football going forward. And this is somebody that that claimed to have good relationships with plenty of members of the staff, including Jim Harbaugh's son, Jay. And his logic was that, you know, out there, there is some future Ohio State football coach who, whether they know it or not, is planning what is going to be the future of Ohio State. And so he felt a responsibility as a quote unquote Michigan man to also do the same, to be prepared as possible 15 years out for when he hoped to one day run the Michigan uh, football program. And so what has come out about Connor Stallions is that he ran uh, allegedly a very elaborate scheme with people all across the country, people that were uh, going to some 35 games at 17 different schools, including possible playoff opponents that Michigan would face, including Tennessee, uh, Clemson, and that these individuals were going to the games pointing their cameras directly at the opposing sidelines. And then subsequently, and this is the news that came out today, Will Hobson's Washington Post report, that that video was then uploaded to a server, which was maintained by Connor Stallions and accessed by both Stallions and members of the Michigan football staff. So this is information that people at the University of Michigan, part of the football program, who are actively implementing and executing the game plan on Saturdays was accessing this their information that they were using for these purposes. I, I gotta I gotta jump in here. So there's a couple reports. People things are kind of flying today. Sports Illustrated, I saw this. This I you can't really make this stuff up. So I guess Stallions, who's I know they, they were doing kind of a profile him we'll call it a profile for part of my take today and they called him like a career fan he's just a guy that infiltrated michigan he's a lifelong wolverines fan and he kind of found his way into the system and if you see some of the texts that are allegedly attributed to him by sports illustrated you'll see that this guy it's, it's not like an elaborate scheme and the guy is just kind of being overly braggadocious about what he's doing this is allegedly a text message between stallions and like a student at a power five school taryn did you see this you're nodding yeah well this is he texts this to a student who is allegedly like trying to break into college football. So some random student at a school is texting Stallions and Stallions. This, this is a crazy text. Quote, free COVID stole opponent signals during the week watching TV copies, then flew to the game and stood next to uh, Gaddis, Michigan's offensive coordinator at the time, and told him what coverage slash pressure he was getting. So <laughs> these are texts uh, between the back and forth between January and February. So the student, I don't really know how else to phrase it. The student basically reached out or, or vice versa. They were having a conversation about advice about how to break into the industry. And yeah. um, the student kept the receipts and then basically just emailed them to Sports Illustrated. So like, that's what you get. You do a nice thing for somebody and now it comes up as evidence in the case. I mean, it's like, it's wild. And and turn to the to the point you raised, which I think is an interesting one. And I'm, I'm going to let it slide that you disagree with me on the, the overall nature. I think in the grand scheme, people can disagree. It's fine. In the grand scheme of 
Patriots, Astros, I'm going to put Michigan, even if what they're alleged of is true, I'm going to put that at the bottom. They're, as far as I can tell, they're filming an open game that tens of thousands of people are at. So, yes, Taryn, we talked about this offline about, you know, there are rules put in place that, that should prevent staffers from going to games and doing this type of in-person scouting. The, the rule is in place. Taryn, I, I think you said it was 94 they put this in place? Right. Because of the means of like, I don't know, Michigan probably has like 100 students that are trying to break into college football and they could send yes. them across the country to do live filming. My My thing in this is like, if you watch a game, it's not just the expectation of privacy of 10,000 people at the game or uh, 50,000 people, how many people at these giant stadiums. It's that anybody who's a fan can take a camera and train it at the sidelines. You know what fans can't do? Fans can't get access to the center field camera where those blacks, are, you know, the, the, the blacked out seats are and get a perfectly trained zoomed in view on the catcher's sign and trigger a buzzer to tell the, the hitter who's going or bang a trash can. You can't do that. You can't go to a private jets practice and film it and then relay it to the team kind of live as it's happening. Just with the nature of advantage that you're getting, I think it's very, I think I don't say very low, but lower than those two. And I think people are equating sign stealing with like, you know, the Astros are cheaters. The Patriots are convicted cheaters. Yeah, the Wolf- Michigan Wolverines are in the headlines a lot. Do you want to call this cheating? I guess you may- maybe you can from the spirit of the rule, but I think the actual offense is is on a different tier than those. Two. No, that's no. all, Taryn, you're yelling at me. You're about yeah, to yell at me. I, I, disagree. I disagree. No, I couldn't disagree with you more, possibly. Look, if I, if I know what play is coming, I can scheme the defense to be where you're supposed to be. And and so okay, that's, so we I, we are on the same page that the but the Astros and the and and the Michigan right Michigan it's the, if you know what pitch is coming off speed or fastball same thing except the difference is right you are contemporaneously signaling via a buzzer or a trash can versus like Taryn here's here's the perfect example I gave in a class um you can't no one's seeing this in a video I'm holding my fingers right my fingers in front of my mouth there is yeah. an expectation of privacy that coaches at the head coaching level, the college level, that people are trying to steal their signs. This happens every week. Okay, okay. So, wait, you might know if it's going to be a pass or a run the next play. I don't change your signals up. How about that? How about them apples, Taryn? No, I, I obviously people caught on to this. They knew that Michigan was doing this. They've known that Clemson was famous for doing this under Brent Venables. Uh, yes, they change signs, but you can't change everything. You have too many people that you're trying to communicate that information to. And so really the, the, uh, what should be the result is not like, oh, you should have changed your signs. It should be that we should have the the microphones and the earpieces and the helmets. And I think that that's where we're going to end up because they're going to test drive it during bowl season this year. But I heard that argument like, oh, it doesn't really make a difference. A couple things, the university of Michigan is a very rich program, but $15,000 is not nothing. And that's supposedly the budget that they were investing in this scheme. And so Michigan isn't just going to throw $50,000 at this guy to run this scheme if there was no competitive advantage. Not just that, but if there's not a, a competitive advantage, why is he the one that is at, as a low-level staffer, as it's been described, why is he the one that has the coordinator's ear during the biggest game of the year? I it's it, it to me it does I, not make sense to say that that one this doesn't matter or or two that it doesn't really help. They clearly were engaging in this topic because they knew that there was some advantage to it. And Taryn, um, Taryn, oh, I don't think anyone's saying there's no competitive advantage or that it doesn't really matter. Unless Zach, you're saying that because of your PTSD from Wake Forest. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the argument. I mean. The, the argument you're seeming to make, Dan, is that there's no real-time advantage like with the Astros where it's literally a cable from a camera in the outfield to a cable that they're, you know, they're watching it live and then being able to bang on that trash can at that time. But you could also argue that there is, you know, it's a little bit closer to that than you're, you might be characterizing, I think, because, I mean, while, yes, the collection of this data is happening in games prior – if he's standing there on the sideline right next to the defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator and has a laminated sheet with all of the, the signals and what they mean on them, you're getting the real time. Oh, they're about to, they're about to rush. They're about to, you know, they're about to have man coverage on this next play, something like that. It's a little bit closer. I think in some respects to, to that Astros than you're, you might be characterizing for one. Uh, and then kind of, Taryn, question for you here. 
you know, there's there's lots of arguments and lots of things going around, you know, trying to characterize him as low level and everything else. And then there's the argument that keeps coming up whenever you talk about sign stealing one in general, but especially here is that everyone's doing it. I mean, you know, not necessarily that I'm taking that position, but lots and lots yeah. of people talking about, oh, it's, it's something that everyone does. Everyone tries to steal signs. But, you know, do you feel like this one's a little bit different from your perspective? Yeah, well, I think that it's a great question. And I've also heard that argument. And yeah, I think that to some extent, and I brought up a couple of examples of, of programs that have engaged in this type of thing. I think almost every program in the country engages in some level of sign stealing where they watch both the broadcast, they try to hear what gets picked up on microphones, they watch the all 22 that is available to everybody. And they try to pick up signals because they're trying to pick up tendencies. Yeah, 100% that happens. You wouldn't be trying if you weren't trying to do it. But there's a difference between doing it that way and then uh, instead hiring these people to go around the country, attend these sporting events, and train cameras on them. Then taking that footage and having your staff have access to it watching that footage and then lining it up with what you see on the all 22 to be able to determine what these signals mean, then using that information on the sideline during the game in a contemporaneous fashion to affect the outcome of the game. And Michigan played a lot of close games in 2021. They played a game that was a four point difference with Penn state. They played a game uh, against your Nebraska Cornhuskers, Dan 32, 29. They played a, a, another game where Rutgers lost by seven points. I don't think that uh, it's necessarily 100% that sign stealing made them win those games, but it certainly helped them if they were engaging in those practices. But here's the other thing. So in terms of talking about whether it matters, uh, whether it makes a big difference, uh, David Ubin of The Athletic had this same question. And uh, and so he spoke to three power five head coaches. He spoke to a group of five head coach and they said th these were the quotes that they gave. It's the biggest advantage in college football. How could it get any bigger? Another coach said, I don't think it could be overstated. The, the advantage. Another coach called it disgusting. And another coach said flat out it would help them win. So these are things that other programs now that they're aware of what Michigan was engaging in, they believe that those things made a significant difference and gave Michigan a competitive advantage. And it did. It fundamentally changed how Michigan is as a program. Michigan went from a team that was below 50% against the spread for several years under Harbaugh to after COVID, 2021 and 2022, that they're now above 50% closer to uh, uh, above 65% against the spread. So they're messing with Vegas's money too. Okay. I want to stick on coaches for this because I, I think there's a uh, important part, part of this that we haven't gotten to. So when it comes to Michigan, right, um, this, again, I don't know, I do my my prep for my law school class is very similar to the prep for the podcast. It's, we want, I want to make people think about these different topics. So let's say you have all this. You have all this level of what happened, competitive advantage. Okay, let's assume all this to be true. The question that a lot of people are concerned with is what happens to Jimmy Harbaugh? What did he know? What didn't he know? And if you look at some of these texts and, and the accusation is that these these videos were shared with the full team. And Taryn, to your point, if you get stallions on the sideline next to the offensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator is buddy buddy with Harbaugh like you're one degree away and and if you have if you really watch these videos I think the video I saw was the Ohio State video there he he's looking at signals and he's pointing to the sky as like a pass is coming we know a pass is coming I'm not I don't want to get twisted I know there's an advantage here I'm just saying in the grand scheme of sign stealing me personally I view this as in terms of the I don't know I'll put it third in line because I, I think people study game film to figure out plays all the time at the NFL level I don't know, the Astros, the Patriots. I, I've never heard of either of those two prior to this, but neither here nor there. Terry, I'm going to read you from a Yahoo Sports article. I'm not sure we could, who we could give credit for this article. I'm just going to read this, and you'll see exactly where I'm going. Yeah. Under new, stricter NCA rules, head coaches are presumed to know what is happening inside their program. Mm. The burden of proof is now on the accused 
not the NCA. This runs counter to the United States legal system, but this is what was agreed to by member schools, including Michigan. So I had a tweet over the weekend. Again, I was, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pro-Michigan where I can. I didn't like that people were ready to convict, and, and maybe people kind of got my messaging mixed. I didn't like that people were ready to convict Harbaugh because of the news of the opening of the investigation. Since that's happened, I think I... I sent that out on a Sunday or I probably sent it on Saturday during game day. Since that's happened, we found out a lot of things that are ah, seemingly per se, right? If the guy's going, buying t- tickets to all these different games. I, I saw one, it was like 33 different tickets to 11 different games. Like it's going to be hard to get around the actual bad act. And then the question is whether Harbaugh knew. And then the question is how much of a benefit was this? We have videos now of Ohio state coming out. We have texts coming out. So, you know, my initial position that innocent until proven guilty, a, it's not the standard here for our purposes, but in the court of public opinion, I want people to like relax and know that there still is a burden of proof that has to be shown. There still has to be some type of proceeding. We're not going to assume anyone is guilty. We're going to give someone the opportunity to defend themselves or to establish that burden. But the more I look at this case, the more I get concerned about the standard. So, again, this is what came up in my class, and, I, and I, we've definitely covered this on the podcast. Zach, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give this to you, right? Northwestern, Coach Fitzgerald, same type of concept. Did he know of the sexual hazing, sexual harassment? I don't know what you want to call it. The the stuff in the locker room, whatever. Did he know about it? And the, and the question is, like, I don't know, did he, did he know actual knowledge or should he have known zach i'll give it to you here i know you're following the michigan stuff closely you've basically heard from prosecutor sharma he's ready to throw the book at harbaugh <laughs> i'm trying to keep an open mind um zach you'll be our for purposes of this where are you leaning here do you think there's a world that harbaugh did not know about this did not direct it and he's got clean hands he doesn't know jack so that's a really interesting and kind of Tough question. Do I think he knew about it from the onset? Probably not. I don't think this was something that he was like, oh, hey, Connor, go go do this. I'm giving you my blessing before you go start. But if he's standing right there next to your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator, who are going to be in regular meetings and conversations and discussions, not even just within games, but meetings and every other aspect of practice games, re- reviewing film. I find it hard to hard to imagine that he d- didn't learn of it during the time that this was alleged to have been going on. Would it be, it would be hard, I think, if the rule was different and it was the NCAA who had to prove that he was the one who did have the knowledge, but kind of flipping that around, it, it's going to be really hard, I think, to show you didn't, especially as it went on for so long. I mean, all you got to find the fact that other members of the the Michigan State coaching staff access the server. You're not going to access the server and then not tell the head coach, and especially if you you know are doing well and it's working. You're going to be like, oh yeah, we're doing this. If someone's going to let it slip, and then he's going to have that actual knowledge. So I think you know, as much as I'm trying to approach this as a neutral party, I think there's a very, very difficult argument to, to kind of prove that he had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Zach, I think that that's like a very key point doing well. Michigan's a program that has half a national title since 1997, or sorry, since world war two. And they won it in 1997. They've gotten their butts kicked up and down the field by Ohio state every single year, except for, during Tattoo Gate in the aftermath when when Jim Tressel was forced to resign and then the last two years and 2003. So four times this century they've won, including these two that are now suspicious. I think that what happened is that Jim was painted into a corner, couldn't get out to the NFL, could not uh, win at Michigan to the level that he expected. And I think that whether he knew or not, he allowed this to take place. And I think that it's particularly ironic because Michigan fans, amongst all fans, I would say, have a, a great deal of moral superiority, the, the idea of being a Michigan man. And, uh, and I think that they were uh, ashamed of losing on the field. And so in that shame, they've engaged in this scheme and this scheme totally disrobes them, disrobes the entire program. 
And so I think that they should be punished. I won't hold my breath. I think there's an incredible lack of leadership in uh, college sports. I'd be surprised uh, if something actually does happen. But the fact is that that if they engaged in this, and it sure seems like they did, uh, they should be ashamed. And so I'll leave on this, Dan. I'll, I'll kick it to you. One second. Harbaugh's mentor, uh, his coach at Michigan, Bosham Beckler, uh, the team, the team, the team, one of Michigan's great coaches, the hall there uh, where the football building is, is named Schembechler Hall. He said, while he was alive, he said, every coach, every executive, every leader, they all know right from wrong. Even those Enron guys. When someone uncovers a scandal in their company, I don't think they can say, I didn't know what was going on. They're just saying they're too dumb to do their job. And if they really are too dumb, then why are they getting paid millions of dollars to do it? They know what's going on. So I think that Bo would be very disappointed in what Harbaugh is allowed to happen, uh, whether it, uh, you know, whether he knew about it or not, uh, he should have. And so I'm interested to see what the the ramifications of this are. I don't know if the NCAA could issue a, a notice of infractions today, and it would take a 90 day response period before Michigan actually has to say anything back that takes us past the season. How upset are the other members of the Big Ten? Will the Big Ten feel compelled under Tony Patetti to, to act to uh, effectively kill one of their cash cows this year, almost certain to go to the, the college football playoff? Will the college football playoff itself act? I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure what's, uh, what's going to happen next, but none of this stuff makes Michigan look good, and they should be totally embarrassed. It definitely doesn't make Michigan look good, but there's there's one small point that I do want to make because we've been talking about the sign sign stealing that Michigan has been doing so uh, so negatively, which is that sign stealing happens all the time and it's okay to a certain extent. Like like Taryn mentioned earlier, it's something that when you're on the sidelines or you're watching film or if you're on second base in a baseball game. You're, you're going to be trying to do that. But we've decided as members of the public or members of the organizations that govern these sports that that sort of thing is okay and that there's limits to the type of sign ceiling that's okay. And here, the reason that this has become such a big issue is that NCAA rule from, I believe it's 94, Taryn, right? Where they said you can't send anyone to the place of contest for your opponents to try to try to do this exact sort of thing. It, it's that rule, but it's also the rule that you can't film opposing coaches. So it's, it's two different things that they've engaged in. Right. Dan. Right. I, um, I think, I think we know where we stand. Yeah. I'll, go ahead. Well, go ahead, Zach, get, get the last word. I want to, I want to get to the NIL stuff. I think we know, I think we're all on the same page with this Michigan stuff. It's not looking great. It's not looking great. Zach, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Finish up. There, there, there's no question here that what Michigan has done is really, uh, gone askew of both that 94 rule and the, and the no filming of the coaches. But I think it's also important to kind of remember if we're thinking about this in the broader sense of, of sign stealing, uh, it's not all bad, but whenever it's done in this way and whenever it's done in blatant disregard for the rules and in a way that seems to give an unfair competitive advantage, even from the perspective of the coaches, that's what makes this situation all the more, uh, abhorrent okay so i i think this is a good place to, to put a pin in this jim harbaugh taryn you you had me thinking along these lines and zach he kind of embodied it perfectly we've been here before we've been here with a tremendous blue blood program seeming like they're about to get in a lot of trouble mind you michigan is already under investigation harbaugh right voluntarily took that suspension michigan has been in the headlines a lot so I, last time this happened, uh, maybe Taryn, you, you kind of know what I'm getting at. I'm seeing you. USC Pete Carroll once upon a time, it looked like the waters were bubbling. They were going to get some type of suspension. What happens? Pete Carroll bolts for the Seahawks. He's never left. He's been, he's been pretty happy there. And he left in his, in his wake. I think this was, um, oh, what's the old Miss coach name? I'm going to forget now. What's his name? The, man, the young guy. Who? Ogeron came in as. No, I know. Who's the current Ole Miss coach? My guy. Oh, the guy uh, Lane the Kiffin. Coach for a minute. 
Kiffin was there to try to clean up the mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are going. I listen, I'm not rooting for it because I have a lot of friends that went to Michigan and I and I think that the college football is great when Michigan's playing well. And as we can see now, that it's the top story in all of college sports. There's a world where yeah. Ohio takes the bag. He was on the verge of getting fired about two years ago. And guess what happened, Taryn? My, like, it's the same argument that you and I had once upon a time about steroids, right? Allegedly, allegedly, he's getting some advantage, right? That's improper. But the performance has been there. It's the same thing that goes on, you know, with what happened during the steroid era. Allegedly, yeah, I'm saying, oh, assume yeah. this is true. But what, but what goes on, right? Sign stealing, this is where Zach kind of took us. This isn't like some crazy type of offense like Fitzgerald or Mel Tucker or, or something that's like a really black mark on someone's program. It's okay. Sign stealing. Uh, you're looking at other people on camera. You're getting an advantage. There's an expression, right? You ain't cheating. You ain't trying. And this has been a gray area for a long period of time in college sports. Jim Harbaugh will get another job. Jim Harbaugh's turnaround of the Michigan program, despite all of the pressure, the Harbaugh, the Harbaugh name runs very deep. So I'm I'm pretty convinced here that Harbaugh is going to be okay at the end of this, right? Everyone's yelling and screaming at what's going to happen. Jim Harbaugh will be just fine, but we got to worry about what's going to happen to Michigan. Okay. With that said, let us move over to our number to- the second topic on the show, topic that I know we were all following very closely. So I'm happy to admit this on the podcast, but if anybody, any of my work colleagues listen to this, I I'm pleading the fifth. Okay, you guys will know what I'm saying in a minute. On Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, yeah. I spent a good hour and change watching that uh, federal NIL hearing. I filed it away in like productive, non-billable hours, but I closed my door. I pretended I was on a conference call. I was not on a conference call. I was just watching this hearing. And, you know, I read the post, uh, the submissions by, I think he's a friend of the show, Walker Jones of the Ole Miss Collective. I've spoken to Walker a couple of times. You know, we had Charlie Baker, um, president of the NCAA on the panel. Ever heard of him? Kind of a big deal for this conference. We had St. Joe's athletic director. We had Jack Swarbuck, the athletic director over at uh, Notre Dame. It's kind of a big panel. And I should mention Walker Jones is one of the representatives of, I, I think I'm going to mess up the name, but it's like the Collective Association. There's an acronym for it, but it's like this collection of collectives. And they had a student athlete up there. They had a lot of different people up there. So just just know it was a who's who. I never usually turn into these federal NIL hearings. I wanted to do it for this one. We are trying. It's our 10th federal nil hearing we had two right before nil took place um on july 1st of 2021 and then we've had one every couple months for the last two years and change i don't believe we are any closer today than we were then and i I think there's really been a concerted effort by the nca by some of these schools to get a bill passed the problem is in turn we created the show around this concept of nil nil keeps changing we have the proverbial moving of the goalposts so every time we have one of these hearings something new pops up the collectives pop up, federal law pops up, unionization pops up. And then we have, I'm not going to, listen, people might think I'm being political. There were politicians that took this time to talk about college sports. Again, we've not, we're not going to talk about it on this podcast, but the, the you know, uh, Israel-Palestine conflict, they want to ask questions about that. They want to ask questions about Leah Thomas, the UPenn swimmer, have nothing to do with federal NIL, but people just want to take their you know, their podium and, and seem all important for it. So as much as I like that we're having federal NIL hearings, I'm not I'm not sure the people in charge really get the issues. Okay. So Taryn, you are you are the primary host of the NIL hour. I have some thoughts about us maybe getting a little bit closer, but um what were your takeaways from this NIL hearing? Number 10. Lucky number 10. Well my biggest thing that I paid attention to this week with with the this topic was more that the NLRB rejected the filing uh, because it was late from the, from USC in this NLRB case. And, and I think that that is really probably going to be the best way to uh, get some sort of employment status for, uh, for student athletes. So that's the one that I really picked up on. Um, They decided during the panel that they weren't going to necessarily touch on that yet. Hold there. This is a great point. So they asked a couple questions. We sure we need to fix if anybody, you know, I, I find the thing to be, I have a call tomorrow with one of uh, actually a prospective client about uh, what happened, how this hearing is impacting the collectives and whatnot. But it's interesting. So that question about unionization, that's one of these new issues. It's a very interesting one about revenue sharing and whatnot and where we go from here. Jack, uh, I almost called him Jack Baker. Charlie Baker was asked what he thought about unions and this concept that um, athletes could be considered employees. 
And he had some bizarre line. I actually thought he did a, a solid job overall defending the point. I think Baker, anyone doesn't know Baker, former uh, governor of the state of Massachusetts, he's a people person. He's not Mark Emmert. Mark Emmert had a punchable face, and anytime he opened his mouth, he kind of wanted to punch him. He just had one of those vibes. But Baker is a politician. He he is very good at this. Somebody asked him a hard question. What do you think about the concept of players unionizing? And I, the NCA president is on a kind of a heated panel, and he's asking that question. You have to lean in. So this was the one he kind of had a cop-out response. And I can tell you the NCA is very fearful of this conversation. It's very different. Again, we're at the very tip of the iceberg of NIL. Unionization is very different. He said some kind of nonsense, and he said, you know what, in my history, and my understanding of student athletes, I know that not one of them wants to be called an employee. And they don't think of themselves as employees. And I'm like, maybe because student athletes, and I know I'm not supposed to use that term, but athletes that are playing in college, I don't know, employee doesn't sound fun. You know what sounds fun? Making money, getting a piece of the broadcast pie. They want that. Maybe they don't quite understand, and they don't have to. They're 19 to 20. It could come from the state law. It doesn't have to come from unionization. But they certainly are talking about that. For Charlie Baker to say, like, I don't know any uh, athletes that want to be employees. <laughs> like, that's not, we're missing the point here. The fact that they don't understand, I don't even know if I'm, I believe it, but I think Baker missed the point there. And, I, and I'm and i curious about that particular question. Oh, go ahead, Jen. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to give him a little bit of credit. One thing that he said was true, and I think will be a challenge with any sort of college sports players union. And that's that he said that he was worried about creating a system where you have one brush to paint all the employees, uh, paint all the athletes as employees. And I think that that is something that needs to be considered when we think about uh, what a union would look like, because there are so many different types of needs for all sorts of different sports, both men's and women's sports, revenue generating and non-revenue generating. And so that uh, those are I think that he brings up a valid point, even though necessarily don't love the the ultimate message that he's getting at, which is that, you know, they're not entitled to this. I, I'm I'm with you. I don't there's no really easy way to answer that question. And do you guys know I represent schools? I do some work in the collective space. It's a tough one. You have to acknowledge that this unionization question is coming. Dartmouth basketball. We can we can talk about a number of different issues here, but it's happening. We, we projected this was going to happen for a while. I'm not saying I'm rooting for it. I think the world when like I, I do, I think athletes should make a lot of money. Yeah. Do I think the unionization question really, if it passes, which, you know, if my kids are playing in sports and I want them to make money, it's fine. But the college football or college sports purist inside me, I don't really quite know what, what college sports looks like when it happens. Not to say that I'm not like, I don't know. I'm just, I, we come on this podcast to educate you. I don't really think we ever come on rooting for a position in any type of case, but we just got to talk about it. Very complicated put it very easily the landscape and the we'll even say the graveyard of college sports in terms of sports being killed off a program that's what's being threatened here that's i just want people to know the unionization question is really fun but it's also very complex and it's not it's not all like sunshine and rainbows zach this is the one i wanted to get you to so uh walker jones the, the he was the representative for the collectives from mississippi i thought he spoke very well there's this one brewing issue, and I, and I keep getting this question asked up and down by you know, whoever wants to talk about collectives. The question is really, are, is there room for collectives in this arena? Let, let's say you unionize. What does unionize mean? Unionize means that at some point, the schools probably are going to start revenue sharing directly with the athletes. And then you're one degree away from just getting paid some type of salary from the school. If and when that happens question is whether the collectives are needed anymore whether collectives exist i i have an answer to this question but um you know i thought walker jones would address this pretty well that there seems to be a future but zach what do you think if we start paying athletes through schools through, through the conferences we start giving a piece of the revenue pie i'll ask you i have maybe i have a different opinion but what do you, what do you think the collectives do at that point i agree that in theory the the collectives don't really have a purpose anymore but I I think practically in the way that NIL has evolved and will continue to evolve with the emergence of collectives and collectives getting larger and stronger that there, you know, if not now, I can, I can envision a future where the collectives themselves are acting in a quasi uh, labor union type of way, if they get big enough. So if it gets to the point where there's unionization, 
I think that the collectives find some way to to leverage the power that they have now and before instead of just handing that over and giving that up into still having some con- some sort of control or maybe becoming you know two or three different different unions. So there's there's definitely that. Uh, also, Dan, you know one of the things that you mentioned is there's a lot of talk about unionization and federal law. A lot of times people are forgetting that there's, you know, state law solution potentially as well. If, if states pass their own NIL laws, which, you know, could differ and wouldn't be as uniform as, as say, a federal statute would, but they'd be a lot easier to change. As, you, as, we've, as you've talked about with all of these, these hearings, we're on number 10 now. And every time we've had one, something else has changed. and They've had to think about something they didn't the time before. And if there was a law... How long is it going to take to update that law if something does change or if something new appears, if it's at the federal level versus the state? Like, is there is there an argument there as to, you know, while collectives could have a place and act as those quasi quasi unions, if that route is taken, isn't there an argument that, you know, state regulation might be a little bit better? It's two things. You know, the. The collective association that is building up, Taryn, maybe you can find this fancy organization. I'm going to forget what it's called, but it, they are building in some some type of protections. They want it, their strength in numbers, right? Um, I, I think that's maybe their pivot, but I'll, I've said this before. I'll say it again. It came up at the panel, our own Maddie uh, Salamone. She's not really our own, but I she's like a informal member of our family. She's 10 under 10. She's been on the show before. She spoke at the last congressional hearing. So we're informally adopting her. So Maddie, if you're listening, you have an informal adoption invitation to be a member of Conduct Detrimental. But Maddie brought it up. Question is, are these collectives bound by Title IX? Let's say the schools, which are bound by Title IX, they have to be very careful about the money they pay out. They have to have a very even allocation when it comes to men's and women's athletes, men's and women's sports. Collectives are not down by Title IX. As of right now, maybe the spirit of Title IX is violated when a school circumvents Title IX to get money paid through a collect. Not to say that that's even allowed. Schools are not allowed to do that, but the optics seem to be in place that if, you know, uh, if collectives are paying a kid and the kid is playing for X school, the optics seem to be that way. So again, I'm not supporting it, but I, I, I will note that, you know, that seems to be the main issue with the collectives. If you're really trying to keep everything in house and, and there is an argument, I'm not I'm not really one to make it here, but that the schools might be in a better place to control NIL, control their IP, have a database, protect these athletes from maybe aggressive and predatory agents or, you know, bad deals from the collectives. The schools, you know, they, they kind of have some it's not a fiduciary level, but they have some relationship with these students. It's not a contractual relationship. The schools are under their roof you know, what the schools will possibly do. So uh, Walker Jones got in front of this and he essentially said in his opening statement, we try to have an even allocation in terms of our payouts to men's and women's sports because it looks good. It looks good to us to have a diverse distribution system or payout system when we're going to brands. We don't just want to have all men's sports, we want to have even sports. It's very smart by Walker to say, you know, I, I have no idea if that's, you know, the case at other schools, but it's the seemingly the case for Ole Miss. And that's probably how you get around it. You need to preemptively set up your collective in such a way where there isn't even split. Because if you have all the collectives that are just paying football players, just playing men's basketball players, this Title IX issue is going to come barking up very quickly. So um, I think Walker, I'll speak to Walker, uh, you know, I'd say I know him okay at this point. I think he did a good job on the collectives behavior. Yeah, but that's just me. Zach, Taryn, anything further on this before uh, we move on? No. Okay. Finally, finally, let's do this. We are going to go to our better edge, better bets, better, better edge, best bet segment of the week. After going 3-0 and um, my last three weeks in giving you bets, I lost one. I lost one. So I'm 3-1. and Don't doesn't matter what I bet last time. It's not important. Slash... It is what it is. I'll, I'll live with the losses. Um, Taryn, I'm going to go to you. I need your best bet of the week, better edge. Use our promo code CONDUCT for $20 match on sign-up. You can bet against the Joes. You don't have to bet against the pros. We're the pros. We might be dabbling on the site. You might collect one of our bets. But, Taryn, give me your best bet of the week, and we'll make this the college edition. Tell me a college bet that you like. Zach, you were on deck, my friend. Get ready. Yeah, uh, Saturday night. We got Ohio State going to Camp Randall, playing the uh, Wisconsin Badgers. Gross. And 
I think this is going to be a tough spot for Ohio State. They're 14 point favorite, I think, right now, last time I checked. And they've got to go into a pretty hostile environment, night game. They're coming off of a huge game against Penn State last week. Uh, Wisconsin just battled back and won against Illinois this past week. I think uh, I think Wisconsin's going to give them a run for their money. Uh, I think that Wisconsin will cover. Ohio State should win. Uh, so those will be mine this week. Zach, you got one? You know, I I think I do. I, I mean, I'm wearing the shirt, so uh, I've got to take Wake Forest. I mean, it's plus 20, 20 and a half. So I'm going to I'm going to believe in my my alma mater and think that they can pull that one off. The Deeks keeping it within three scores. What do you got, Dan? Yeah, Zach, you didn't seem too confident in that pick. Uh, it's not like we had to uh, talk you into picking your own school to cover a three-touchdown spread at home. So, uh, listen, don't don't revoke Zach's Wake Forest card. He really, truly believes that they're going to cover, and he's betting his entire life savings, his endowment. He's betting everything. Okay, I have a pick. Are you ready for this, Taryn? I'm ready. The Revenge of Dan Lanning. Oregon, 6-1. and one. They're coming off a bye. They got beat pretty bad by Washington. They're licking the little wounds. They're licking little feathers. They go into Utah. Oregon, number 8. Utah, number 13. Beat a kind of weird Caleb Williams squad. Wasn't quite Caleb Williams. This spread was a very odd 6.5. Oregon going on the road. They're a touchdown favorite. I think Dan Lanning comes out. He goes back to his... Shador Sanders, Deion Sanders stomping ways and crushes the Utah Utes. I'm going Oregon minus six and a half on the road. I do dabble in the arts of college. I do dabble, but I generally, being honest, I generally dabble in the arts of like a seven point tee. So I'll probably tease this down to even money right around there, or uh, like a pick them right around there. But um, I'm giving one pick. I'll go with Oregon. Oregon will be in my equations. Okay. That will do it for the better edge, best bets. Edge segment. I just made it up. Shout out to Greg Kajuski over at Better Edge. Okay, that'll do it for us here on this episode of Conic Detrimental, the hybrid of the NIL Hour. For Dan Wallach, myself, Taryn, Zach, and all of us here at Conic Detrimental, we will see you next time on another lovely, beautiful episode of Conduct Detrimental. <laughs>